Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Naturopathic Times podcast. If you are new to our show, this is an interview podcast that bridges the gap between naturopathic philosophy and common day practice. I am your host, Katerina Meister. And I'm your co-host, Stephanie Acopedia. And as a final reminder, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and share with someone you know. On to the show. Today's guest is a newly licensed naturopathic doctor, part of Bastyr University's California graduating class of 2020. After graduating, he went on to pursue a residency for the Center of Health and Wellbeing at an integrative clinic here in San Diego. Please welcome our guest, Dr. Brian Trainer. Hey, everybody. It's good welcome. to be here. It's good to uh, join two fellow Bastyr University California students and uh, to, to be here to talk with you all. Yeah, thank you so much for coming, Brian. Um, we went, me and Stephanie, for uh, context for people who are listening, have actually went to school with Brian. Um, he graduated before us, so it's always great to see a fellow colleague of ours, that's for sure. So, Brian, um, we usually ask all of our um, guests just to kind of explain where they came from, and we both know that you went to West Point, um, so it's kind of interesting to see that transition. So, wh- what kind of got you to naturopathic medicine? Yeah, thanks for asking. So. I, uh, I attended the United States Military Academy at West Point with uh, the intent of becoming an Army officer, which I did, and uh, I served for a few years um, prior to my, my own health actually becoming an issue for me. I, uh, a few things happened. I was hit by a car. I fractured my right femur. Uh, I had a pretty major head injury, and then a few months after both of those, those were two separate events, I um, started having pretty bad uh, gastrointestinal issues and was having up to 30 bloody bowel movements a day, um, unexplained. Mm. And uh, I tried to tough through it, um, but eventually needed to go to the hospital and um, was eventually diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is an autoimmune inflammatory bowel disease. And so that, um, that is really where my journey began because at a, at a young age, I was facing something that conventional medicine told me my doctors at a time that there was no known cause there was no known cure and there was really nothing I could do other than try some of these medications but that I would most likely need surgery and be dealing with this for the rest of my life and so that's kind of where my journey began and uh, and I'm happy to share more but it led me um, I ended up being stationed in Washington after my diagnosis in Missouri And Washington State is one of the hotbeds for naturopathic medicine, which I'm very grateful for. And it was uh, an unlikely, um, I guess, bunch of events that led me to a naturopathic doctor in Tacoma and then a Green Beret telling me about um, some integrative medicine podcasts. So I'm big into podcasts. I'm grateful to be on here. It was uh, like biohacking, integrative medicine type doctors that I was listening to on podcasts that really um, opened my mind to alternative and, and um, other approaches than just the conventional approach that I was uh, at the time in front of. Right. Well, you're also an amazing athlete. You had triathlons and half Ironmans. So it seems like you kind of liked that approach of trying to increase performance in all kinds of ways. Yeah. And uh, excuse me if it's loud here. I'm at my clinic today, so I'm sure we'll be talking about that. So I I love the controlled chaos. Hopefully our listeners are not too distracted (laughs) by it. Um, I did sneak away into a small room at the moment. Uh, But yeah, in terms of exactly my athletic background as a, I was a recruited runner uh, to look, I got recruited by a few different colleges and 
ended up choosing West Point and in that time switched to race triathlon on the second half of college and continued that. Um, and that's where that leg injury, I was hit by a car while cycling. Um, but oh, really wow. that's what, that was my first clue into um, the idea that when my first GI doctor that diagnosed me with this autoimmune condition told me that nutrition and diet didn't matter in this gastrointestinal condition, I, I immediately some yellow flags or, you know, thoughts in my mind went up. Well, my nutrition matters for everything. It matters for my performance, for, you know, my academics, all of that, my ability to be a leader in the army. So that was the first thing that first time I ever kind of questioned something a doctor told me, because up to that point, I kind of just did what the doctor said, you know, and went in for my annual physical, all that. So, uh, so yeah, I think my athletic background did that and it also did it's helped me look at things from a more uh, not just a, a sick perspective like am I sick or am I not sick but at an optimal looking for that to help others perform optimally so because I was seeking that for a while in my life and was an exercise physiology undergrad so mm-hmm. optimal performance is something that I'm seeing that more and more people that I see as a clinician really want to focus on and it's mm-hmm. it's exciting to do that with others. Yeah, you have a really unique background where you you actually know what it's like to live with a chronic condition and see what it's like in treating it in the conventional realm versus the naturopathic medical realm. Um can you talk a little bit about your experience with both types of medicine and the gap between them and what it's like to really bridge that gap? Yeah, that's a great question, Stephanie. So from my own care, I I would say that conventional medicine did at times, you know, save my life. I was in the hospital nine different times. I needed um, IV corticosteroids. I needed a, a blood transfusion. I've been on biologics, um, all sorts of medications that I think at the time, um, you know, did put out the fire enough for me to stay in the military and continue doing my job. But I think at best they were band-aids and I think um, they were treating symptoms. So the symptoms I was having was, were, were, you know, multiple urgent bowel movements a day and the underlying cause was not really ever addressed. And so um, one of my main recollections of when the philosophy of naturopathic medicine was really explained to me was as a Mm -hmm. patient for the first time at the Bastyr University Clinic with Dr. Lisa Perry, who teaches um, functional medicine at our school. And she, her and the students on her shift were the first ones that broke it down and really started asking me questions to uncover this root cause, because it wasn't clear. It wasn't clear if it was the stress of the fractured femur, if it was the you know 20 million vaccines I got in the military if it was me going from an anti-inflammatory diet to eating trans fat in the military like there were so many factors I was exposed to mold in Missouri Um, there just was like this multitude of factors right before my diagnosis and my onset of UC um, that I didn't know where to start but the functional medicine approach started asking me questions like were you a natural birth or were you a cesarean birth? How long were you breastfed for? Questions that I had no idea the answer to. And it wasn't that those two questions specifically led to all the answers, but they started looking from the beginning, you know, and they started looking at my life and the things that led me to uh, develop a chronic condition at a young age. And so it was, um, I would say the approach is really 
the philosophy of looking for that underlying cause and sometimes causes to um, to ultimately guide our treatment and to there are times to treat symptoms and we still can do that naturopathically absolutely um, but with a bigger picture in mind I would say and so that's that's the difference um, but I'm overall, I would say I'm very encouraged by the way that different groups, different organizations, different clinics are working to bridge that gap. And I'm happy to be a part of it. Um, one example upstairs on the days that I see patients, I sit next to a medical doctor, a nurse practitioner, another naturopathic doctor, and a few medical, uh, medical assistants. We all, and we all work together. And a patient comes back I might have one of the MDs turn to me and ask what herbal treatment I might um, use for this approach. Or I might turn to them and ask, hey, this patient has this acute infection, which antibiotic and what dosing should I do? So I like that we're able to do both and we're able to work together. And uh, I think in the end, the way to continue pushing that forward is to um, that we do need to understand pharmacology and the conventional standard of care as naturopathic doctors. Mm -hmm. Um, while not losing the roots of what got us into it personally and um, truly staying in touch with uh, the founders and the elders of our medicine and, and the, the philosophy. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, we just had uh, um, Dr. Tienan talk about vitalism with us, and it is just kind of shocking how we have moved from such we we actually started with like homeopathy and you know all of these natural treatments in like the early 1800s and we eventually moved away from that style of medicine and called it alternative to like today and so it's just interesting how it's evolving and how we're kind of coming back to where we came from and trying to combine both because in the end it, they're both just two tools that you can use to get better but I wanted to go back to what you were saying about when you were in the military and when you were kind of like, were you working with the VA at that time or um, were you not really being seen there necessarily? So there's two different systems. The military medical system is what's uh, called TRICARE technically, or most people refer to it as. So the, the TRICARE system would be all the military hospitals. Like here in San Diego, we got the Naval Medical Center San Diego close to Balboa. It's called Balboa Hospital um, at for short. And then there's also the VA hospital up in La Jolla. So those are actually two totally different systems. Mm -hmm. And so as when I was active duty, I was being treated on base, mainly up in Washington is where I got most of my care. And then when I got out, I, because of, I was medically discharged, I still have TRICARE. So technically I have both TRICARE and VA healthcare as a patient. Um, Basic, I really haven't used the VA healthcare. I tried. There was a lot of roadblocks. Um, so mm. at the time, I was an Army engineer officer, so I really had no connection to the health side of um, things or the medical system, although I had a really unique opportunity. My final, I guess, nine months or so in the military, um, usually people going through the amount of medical treatment and, and all that that I was get put in what's called the warrior transition unit. And basically, um, their job is to get out of the military effectively. Uh, I was very thankful that one of my commanders saw my degree in kinesiology, exercise phys, and he was like, that's kind of like medical, right? And I was like, uh, sure. Yeah, I took some biology. And so our unit didn't have what was called a medical service officer. 
So my final nine months, my final, we call it officer evaluation report was written as a med service officer. And I got to basically command the 30 medics in my unit. And I got to, I got the uh, honor of giving my whole battalion, 600 people flu shot or the mm-hmm. nasal mist at the time, um, looking back, which was fun. Um, but just learning the coordination, I had to work with the hospital to get those supplies. I had to uh, work with the brigade, which is if a battalion is about 600 brigades, about five or 6,000 and uh, work with the brigade medical team, which had doctors um, work with our unit PA work with our physical therapists. So it was kind of this early introduction to, even though I wasn't providing care, I got to see some of the TRICARE system. Mm-hmm. Um, but my earliest experiences with the VA was actually as a platoon leader in the army. Some of my soldiers were getting out and being discharged and I followed their process and learned kind of how challenging it can be for some. Um, yeah, can you kind of explain that? Cause I don't think most people know what that struggle is. Yeah, so um, most people, yeah, exactly. A lot of people don't realize that, especially army engineers, but across the board around the time that that was happening, 2013 mm-hmm. through 16, it was when I was in. And uh, we had a lot, of, a lot of people injured over in Iraq and Afghanistan training. Um, both physically, mentally, emotionally. So we, uh, one of my jobs was to effectively help them transition out, some of my soldiers. And uh, at the time, the two systems that we mentioned, there was already what's called the, the cures where they um, act where you can look to see if someone else has mm-hmm. um, prescribed an opioid anywhere, but it wasn't really being used. Even in my own care, I would be offered medication by TRICARE by the military system and um, you know, a few weeks later be offered the same medication by the VA for pain meds. And um, basically, and no talk of anything like acupuncture or other approaches to um, treat the pain that I was having. So, okay. and I know if that was true for me, it was more true for others that weren't you know, even interested in this holistic approach. So um, I think there's a lot of challenges there, but um, the transition, I would say is different for everyone. And I think a lot of it is up to the individual to um, what I, what I usually encourage other veterans and other transitioning uh, soldiers, sailors, military members is to be okay with asking for help initially. um, Because what we see is the veterans that don't ask for help in the first few years or while they're transitioning usually end up needing a lot of help 10 years down the road or, or longer. So, um, and we see that in over and over again. So especially that's kind of what I encourage young veterans ask for help early on. There's so many resources. It's almost overwhelming how many resources there are both within the system and then nonprofit that's trying to help veterans. So um, I just try to stay abreast of what's going on both for myself, but then for others. Like I was on the, mm-hmm. a call with the San Diego veterans coalition this morning and there's over 150 nonprofits in San Diego alone trying to help veterans. So it's, it's a little bit wow. overwhelming. And so my biggest advice is to look to others that have transitioned. And there are some, like I was on a podcast a week or two ago that we got into it a little bit about just the different resources and that struggle of asking for help when you don't really want to, and or you're kind of taught not to in the military. So, so yeah, it's definitely like a humbling experience or it was for me to admit that I needed help. And uh, 
and I say that I needed help in, in terms of um, like I still have my VA and military healthcare, and that was really valuable. As much as I love natural medicine, I've had seven colonoscopies that out of pocket would have been a ton of money, and that that scope, that imaging is really valuable for treatment, both naturopathically and conventionally. So um, there are definitely, you know, times to still have healthcare and, and use it. So, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's, that's a long winded answer, but there's, the transition is not easy. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, um, it's one of my passions is to help others transition well. Mm-hmm. What sorts of conditions do you typically see come out during this transitionary period? Yeah, I mean, we look at it in naturopathic medicine in school that I think, what is it, 80 something percent of primary care visits have a mental um, basically component to the visit and whether they're stated or not stated in that visit or addressed or not addressed. And I would say that number is even higher among um, veterans transitioning out and you know, some of it's just uh, some of the things that veterans have seen while they're in. Some of it's the um, social conditioning that happened if they were in an all, you know, all male unit or, or under water for, you know, in a submarine for six months at a time. Yeah. So I would say, um, you know, the broad term that people use a lot of times is post-traumatic stress, um, whether it's classified as post-traumatic stress disorder or not, is an interesting um debate but I, I would say that one thing that's often missed whether is looking at the actual actual brain health and so um, so often people are diagnosed with a psychiatric condition uh, myself included by the VA without any sort of um, imaging or you know EEG or anything to actually look at the structural component of the brain um, so I, I'm really I'm pretty passionate about looking at both the the brain structure and chemistry whenever possible and neurotransmitter balance and all that along with the mental emotional um, I guess outputs of for that patient so I would say there's there's definitely underdiagnosed or undiagnosed um, past head trauma there's also I would say the environmental toxin exposure that um, we're learning more and more about most recently um, your classmate Tara has been doing a lot of work with it, but looking at burn pits so overseas and on most of the areas we've been deploying um, on military bases, we would burn everything, every sort of all the garbage, all the um, feces, everything would be put into a burn pit. And they're now seeing how bad um, basically those fumes are, for, especially for the soldiers that were stuck basically tending to the burn pit so that's an interesting one there's different chemical exposures in different regions there's um one really outspoken veteran named jeff dardia who's leading a nonprofit now green beret that he was exposed to really high levels of mercury on a deployment in africa and he's never been the same since that's what led his whole journey so that's different in each part of the world um but it's it's happening more and more as long and along with like ammunition has a lot of aluminum and so I'd say the the brain injuries, uh, undiagnosed, as well as the environmental exposures, are are major conditions that um, that aren't always addressed. The most, the other one that gets a lot more attention now is pain, just chronic pain, whether yeah. it's explained or unexplained. But I would say that's kind of another hot topic um, among transitioning service members. 
So among like all of those 150 organizations just here in San Diego, um, where do you see the need for naturopathic medicine mm-hmm. in the mix of that? Because if there already are all those resources, like what's missing in that that naturopathic medicine kind of fills? Sure, yeah. So those are not all um, health related. So some of them are, um, well, some of them still are health in a different way. Like um, they help veterans adopt dogs or there's art therapy and there's, I would say there's a lot of like recreational therapy, which is awesome. There's a lot of mental health support in terms of different psychology um, routes that veterans can go. Um, But I wouldn't, I would say that still the need for really good primary care is still there. So the VA itself with a congressional mandate has, has to implement at every site around the country, what's called the whole health program. And um, so the San Diego veteran coalition does have members of the whole health program. Uh, but what we're seeing is that I would say a naturopathic doctor is the most qualified individual to be what's called a whole health program coordinator for the VA. The whole health program coordinator sits somewhere between the conventional care that the VA hospital offers and these integrative modalities that Congress has mandated the, uh, the VA offer to veterans prior to offering opioids, prior to doing surgery, um, things like that. So. Uh, there's two examples. There's two naturopathic doctors working within the VA system that I got to actually sit on a panel and do a talk about some of these same topics at the AANP conference this summer. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, Dr. John Fennell and then Dr. Terry Davis are both doing that. And um, I would really like to see more NDs applying for these jobs. They're supposed to be there's 18 originally um, sites in the country where they implemented whole health and it's been very successful. Sites like San Diego were not funded initially to have full-time staff and full-time physicians working there. Um, however, I think there's 55 new ones being hired as we speak. So that's something that I do see uh, being a major opportunity for NDs to, to be a part of. Yeah, it seems like it's very well needed and um, it seems like naturopathic medicine could definitely benefit uh, that in that sense. Um, moving on kind of to like to today and now um, you're in a residency and that is different for um, most naturopathic medical students who have graduated not all attend a residency because they're not widely available. Could you talk a little bit about how this looks like compared to the conventional MD residency? Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, for background, um, MD and DO residencies are in, in part and mostly subsidized by the government through Medicare and Medicaid. So that's an interesting fact most people don't know. And almost every MD and DO graduate does have access to a residency. So just as you were saying, I think our class was even lower, but it's less than a less than a third, less than a quarter. I think it's somewhere near an eighth of graduates. So near 10% of graduates have access to do a formal residency that's accredited by our governing bodies as naturopathic medicine, which you know is unfortunate, um, but there are opportunities. So the, uh, students can actually create their own and or build upon one that is not sure if they're gonna keep another around. So for example, I, um, basically ensured that this residency would happen through efforts throughout my third and fourth years as a student. Um, but I, I would say the difference is I do less time in the hospital um, and more time seeing patients. Uh, so I'm actually 
comparing notes with my MD and DO colleagues, um, I'm actually probably given more autonomy at this point as a first year resident than they'll get until their second or third years as residents. They might have some longer hours and be put in some more difficult, you know, um, life and death situations for sure in a hospital. Um, but from day one of my official start to my residency in October, I was on my own seeing patients and it had to be, it was up to me to know when to ask for help and when to um, consult the other doctors in the clinic or, and all that and to, to prep accordingly. So I wasn't like the third doctor, you know, I wasn't the, because usually a lot of ho teaching hospitals will have an attending with a, a resident and then an intern, which intern is usually their first year in residency. So usually they're at least third string on a case. Not always, there's definitely times where they push them and get them into uh, more actively making clinical decisions. Um, but I would say, and it's the same with us as naturopathic students in school, we, we make more clinical decisions as naturopathic medical students than MD students will in their, in their time in school because they're pretty much guaranteed to get that training in residency. Um, another comparison is that mine will be, is planned to be a two-year residency, and then I most likely would come on as a junior attending, so there still would be some level of supervision. But um, yeah, the first two years are a residency for me, whereas most MD residencies are a minimum of three years and some are longer depending on the specialty. So uh, those are some of the differences, but um, I think there's some commonalities too. And, and uh, especially since my clinic, we work through the insurance model. So I'm very familiar with, um, getting very familiar with coding and billing and, um, and properly charting every detail of, mm -hmm. The visit and with your MD and DO colleagues, what are the biggest misconceptions that you've seen with naturopathic medicine? Oh, great question. So, the one perspective that I have that's kind of unique is that I did a program through the American Medical Student Association called it was uh, it was called Heart I Am, but it was basically a month um, intensive with twenty MD and DO fourth year students about to graduate around the country and. Ours was unique in that it was all ended up being remote. And instead of uh, we normally would gather at a place in Northern California and basically live together and learn from each other and have all these famous integrative medicine speakers more from the conventional side. I don't they didn't have any naturopathic doctors speak, but I was the first ND student in at least 10 years to get accepted. And I think I know a few had applied, but um, just the way it worked out. So that really opened my eyes, what you're saying to like the misconceptions. And I think most of it's just people don't know what we do. And in part, it is different state by state. But I think um, the biggest thing is, one of the biggest things is not knowing what our training is. I don't think most people know that uh, naturopathic school is a four-year, you know, postgraduate medical degree with, you know, X number of clinical hours and this many hours of pharmacology. In fact, I didn't know how many hours, I didn't know how much pharmacology there is in MD school and on NPLEX too. So get ready. Um, so yeah. <laughs> I'm re but I'm really grateful because like I'm using that every day and whether I'm putting a patient on a medication or not, uh, almost all my patients are on some sort of medication. And so mm -hmm. I need to understand any therapy, whether it be, you know, a diet, whether it be the least invasive thing you can think of. I need to be thinking before I, you know, do an IV on this patient. Is it going to interact with their medication before I use this um, this herb that helps with sleep? You know, it might be sound super benign and easy. You know, could that interact with their medication? And knowing how to look that up and do that properly. So 
I would say most don't realize that we're trained in pharmacology. Most don't realize that we have like an NPI and we have a DEA license to prescribe medication in many states. Um, and I would say, yeah, they're just a, most think that I think of like essential oils or homeopathic remedies or something right. crazy instead of um, maybe naturopathic medicine as a distinct but also similar style of primary care is really, I would say that mm -hmm. we are trained and we are capable of providing really optimal primary care um, for our patients and for, for the world, for our country. So that's my perspective. And I think yeah. uh, they've been really open. My 20 classmates from the heart program, we've stayed in touch and they've been super open and actually very jealous that I get to see patients so often. Many of them uh, haven't even seen any patients in an outpatient um, setting yet. They haven't seen, they haven't taken basically ownership of a patient yet. Some that are in more integrative programs, like there's a Cleveland Clinic has a program with my friends at University of Wisconsin has an outpatient integrative program. So they, a few of the students are seeing patients at those clinics, like one or like one half day a week is what they're doing. So whereas they're in, they're in the hospital the rest of the time, but some have only been in the hospital and they started in July. So um, and they're, most of them are, they're doing great, you know, from what I can hear, but they're also, they're also super busy, but, um, yeah, it's been fun to kind of trade and, and learn more about what they do and, and also try to share what we do. I actually gave a 120 slide presentation, um, about naturopathic medicine to them during the course, <laughs> mostly as reference. I only That's went a long PowerPoint. <laughs> well, I didn't know they all had a million questions. They submitted like 40 questions and oh, I tried wow. to answer them all before even wow. doing the presentation. And so yeah. I made it more as like a resource. Like I, I just referenced a lot of, cause I would say one big question wow. we get is where do you find research, you know, or what, cause we know there's research out there and I just had a second year student at UC San Diego med school ask me, she's doing a uh, presentation, mm -hmm. I think it was on like abnormal uterine bleeding and she didn't know where to start in terms of looking up natural treatments for, mm -hmm. uh, for women's health and, and for uterine bleeding in specific, specifically. So um, I, get, I sent her some resources and she seemed really grateful. So, um, you know, the textbook of natural medicine is a great place to start. And uh, she, with, with that alone, she had more than enough data. There was like four different chapters that addressed what she was looking for um, that each had, I think, over 40 references in each chapter of research articles. So, um, so there's a lot of research out there. It's not always as easy to find maybe as um, medication trials and other things like that, but it's there. We just have to, um, you know, continue to, to dig for it. Right. And I think partially part of that problem is because you can't really make money off of like a nutrient. And if it becomes, it would have to, they'd have to make a synthetic version in order to make money off of it. So it's just difficult in that sense to find funding. Mm -hmm. um, so how do the other like people at your clinic that you're currently at, I know you said you work with MDs and NDs, how do they, how do the MDs react to like the therapeutic order and our principles? Like, do they have something similar and like their training or what have you seen with that? Yeah, that's a great question. Now there's a few different ways. Cause we have some um, practitioners that pretty much do conventional medicine. Like they basically screen patients, they get them kind of into this family care practice and then um, get their basic labs going, do their annual type exams. 
and preventative medicine screenings, like send them for colonoscopies, whatnot. Um, but then once the patient's established as um, with our clinic, they can then see myself, um, they can see one of our acupuncturists, our chiropractor, go for an IV. So we have kind of a structure that with some of the people that I work with, like Julie, she's um, she actually teaches um, as a nurse practitioner at University of San Diego as well. She's a wealth of knowledge. If I ever have, I'm sure you remember, and you're doing them fourth year, like how many years do you, you know, wait to do a, you know, pat based on this guideline? Yeah. You know, how many years? You know, when do you start colonoscopies with this amount of family history? And um, so she is an expert at that. Generally, the patients I see are fairly mm -hmm. complicated. So I could manage that. I could absolutely be sending them for their screenings and reviewing them. Um, but generally, we'll try to do that in one visit with with Julie, and then I will see them for nutrition, weight management. Um, looking at you know any sort of chronic condition they're dealing with um, and all that and and potentially you know drug herb interaction type stuff so we have that um, but I would say everyone here is open and we do have another medical doctor Dr. Fellman she's um, an IFMCP so she's a certified practitioner through Institute for Functional Medicine as are a number of our naturopathic doctors so we have a good I would say the functional medicine language allows us to coordinate care pretty well. Like uh, Dr. Feldman fills out a timeline on her patients, which IFM is famous for. And I, uh, it's really helpful to have that timeline mm -hmm. if we are going to coordinate care, which we're actually doing right now. Um, a patient I saw last night, and it was really nice to go back and reference her timeline, look at some of her notes in like through the functional medicine lens. So. Mm -hmm. So that's been really helpful. Um, but there's definitely times where I would say there are challenges, not as much in our clinic since Dr. Gray, the head medical doctor has been doing some version of this integrative approach for over 20 years. There are other classmates of mine and, and colleagues from years ahead of my, me that set up a good relationship with a medical doctor um, or other practitioner, but then didn't know how to best work mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. So I do think there's still a lot to learn and a lot to, um, a lot to grow, especially here in California. I'd say it's more established in some other parts. So That's a good point, though, about the functional medicine. I feel like it is allowing us to better understand both sides, like better understand one another, MD, DO, and naturopathic doctors. It bridges that gap. So, Brian, where do you envision your future practice to be, and how do you want it to look? Yeah, th thanks. It's um, a great question. I'm definitely, you know, I'm kind of got my head down um, in the trenches right now, and I'm really grateful for that because I am a big picture thinker. So even just to be asked that question is really helpful. Um, I do see myself, like you're saying, somewhere in this standing in the gap of trying to integrate naturopathic medicine into the system. I think there are, some of my classmates are, and colleagues are very successful as NDs providing specialty care outside of the I guess the conventional system, and that's great. I think we need that as well. Advancing, you know, cutting edge peptide therapy and you know other approaches. We absolutely need that. Um, I do see myself working more in this type of integrative clinic long term. Um, I love the Center for Health and Wellbeing. We're we're located close to downtown. We're in like the Bankers Hill Hillcrest area, and I would say you know, a lot of the other integrative clinics are further north. So I like that we can. I can confidently tell my friends, let's say in Chula Vista or Imperial Beach or 
over in the military in Coronado um, that we're only 10, 15 minutes away. So I, I do see myself down in this area and I do see myself working with uh, veterans and military, military families to some degree for definitely for the foreseeable future, but um, long-term I would say, because among all those, like, like you asked me earlier, I do think there's a need for someone to be providing services that veterans and military can't get through their systems um, and to basically show the efficacy now so that they can be implemented later in within those systems. Um, for example, we actually, I'm leading a pilot study with um, up to 20 veterans with metabolic syndrome, markers of metabolic syndrome, and mainly with diabetes and prediabetes. And it's, uh, it's using what's called first-line therapy. It's a 12-week lifestyle change program that the Metagenics Institute has helped put together and using some of their targeted medical foods and supplements along with um, actually meeting every other week with the patient to instill lifestyle changes. So a lot of other companies have like month-long detox programs, which absolutely work to like jumpstart health programs. Um, but I'm excited to show that over 12 weeks, we can make meaningful lifestyle changes that put a patient on the trajectory towards health and actually show clinical changes in their, in their numbers in their, um, so like subjectively and objectively. So that's going to be starting early next year. And we're already kind of in the pre-pilot phase. So I'm excited to be involved in some level of clinical research, I guess is what I'm saying, um, to advance the field along with the clinical care. And the Institute for Natural Medicine actually makes us do a research project as residents. So I'm grateful that kind of like my passions are aligning to get to be a resident, um, be learning, and be advancing our, our medicine in the military and VA, so, so yeah. That's awesome. Well, we're looking forward to seeing what you can do there. And thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Trainer, and sharing your story and just sharing everything that you talked about today. Um, it's very interesting, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to it, especially our veterans. You can find Dr. Trainer online at www.chwbonline.com, and that is the Center of Health and Wellbeing. You can book up an appointment with him there or on Instagram at Dr. Trainer, and that is dr.trainor. And before we close the show, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, comment, rate, review, and most of all, share with someone you know. All right, well, bye. <laughs> bye, everyone.